So let me read something for you. You can just listen and think about it. You are God in a physical body. You are spirit in the flesh. You are eternal life expressing itself as you. You are a cosmic being. You are all power. You are all wisdom. You are all intelligence. You are perfection. You are magnificence. You are creator. You are creating the creation of you on this planet. The earth turns on its orbit for you. The oceans ebb and flow for you. The birds sing for you. The sun rises and sets for you. The stars come out for you. Every beautiful thing you see, all that you experience is for you. Take a look around. None of it can exist without you. No matter who you thought you were, now you know the truth of who you are. You are the master of the universe. You are heir of the kingdom. You are the perfection of life. And now you know the secret. You buying that? Because you can for 11.35 on amazon.com right now. It's a book called The Secret by Rhonda Burns, written about, I don't know, dozen years ago or so. She's on Oprah and Dr. Phil, and you know, she's made the rounds, Larry King Live, you name it. 19 million copies sold, 30 different languages. Big time. It's all about you. You are the key to everything. Isn't that good to know? Totally. That you are the creator of all. Even though you can't create toast, you're the creator of all. I think that the Bible would beg to differ with Rhonda Burns. It might say someone else is the center of the universe. So we're going to look at the Christmas story and we're going to look at Matthew chapter two, because I think what Matthew is doing in a way that you have to kind of peel back the layers to understand is Matthew is saying, here's the creator of the universe and newsflash, it's not you. Okay. So I'll just give you the end of the story. It's not you, but I'm going to tell you that that is good news. It is good news that I am not, that you are not the center of the universe and someone else is. So let's jump in. Matthew chapter two, the Christmas story. Verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king, 
heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they have departed to their own country by another way. Matthew's telling us something here. And he's using creation to tell it. And what you see is creation is dancing for their king. Creation is worshiping, right? So you have this group called the Magi. They're from the east. Most people believe they're from Babylon. And they saw a star and they followed the star across the desert to Jerusalem. Now I'm going to geek out for a little while. Please let me do it. It's your Christmas gift to me. So a little different Christmas message today. It's a lot of geeking out. All right. So if you and I could rewind our clocks 2000 years and we lived back in this time, when the sun set, what would we do? Would you jump on your iPhone or get on Netflix or get on the TV or Facebook or social media? No. If it was a hot day, what you would do is you'd come out, you'd climb up on your roof where this cool breeze would happen. And what was the one thing you could look at in the dark? The stars. Everyone would be experts on the stars. And 2,000 years ago, they had a better view because two things have changed our view of the stars. First, Thomas Edison. The light bulb now doesn't even matter where you're at. There's reflected light that goes up and it hits number two, air pollution, and reflects back down, which makes it much more difficult to actually view the stars. It's why we're sending stuff out into space now to look at the stars because we have these problems. So, these guys would have this incredible view every single night of the stars. And they would be experts on the stars. The Magi would be experts of the experts. So here's where I'm driving. In 3 BC, I'm of the camp that says Herod died in 1 BC. So that kind of dates where everything is for me. So in 3 BC, something happens that's unique. Jupiter, which is the king planet, 
circled three times around Regulus, the Babylonian word for royal or king, three times in 3 BC. At that same time, the constellation Leo, the lion, was at its feet. And Virgo, or the virgin, was rising with the sun and the moon at her feet. Three very unique things that all took place in that same time period. Now you're saying, well, what does that all mean? Well, the virgin with the sun and the moon is something in the Bible. So if you look at Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is prophesying about what's gonna take place. And he refers to Israel as a woman clothed in the sun and the moon. That same idea is picked up in the book of Revelation. I have that verse here before us, Revelation 12, 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. And it goes on to say, and a great dragon was there waiting to devour the child of the woman. So you have these incredible signs happening all in 3 BC. Now, before you're saying, Matt, I think you need to go see a counselor because this sounds nutty. I want you to know what the Bible says about the heavens. It's Psalm 19, verses one through four. Let me read it for you. The heavens declare the glory, the kavod, the weight of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out knowledge and night to night reveals. What does the night sky do? Tells us something. Tells us knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes throughout all the world. What Psalm 19 is saying is God wasn't waiting for the Gutenberg press to get his message out. He's not like, man, I can't wait for that to happen. God has been proclaiming to the world a message. What's really interesting to me is this. Paul quotes Psalm 19 in Romans chapter 10. And if you know your Bible, Romans 10 is about the gospel going out, preachers going out, sharing. And Paul grabs this and says, hey, there's already preparation being done in the night sky every night for these people. They have been prepped. How amazing is that? And let me give you one more that maybe you've never read before. It's a prophecy that's 1,500 years before the birth of Jesus. It's by a cranky prophet by the name of Balaam, the guy that gets talked to by his donkey. And he wants to curse Israel, but he can't. God instead speaks directly through him. Listen to this little prophecy in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now, future. I behold him, but not near. It's a distance, right? Him, who's the him? A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This ancient prophecy combining a kingly rule with a star as well. It's unbelievable. It's why I think Jesus weeps when he comes to Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19 and says, you guys should have known this was your day. The stars have been proclaiming it. 
Events happened, right? So the Magi are in particular paying attention to this. And they're like, whoa. And historians that look back on about 3 BC say, in the empire, the Roman empire that ruled the known world at the time, there was this anticipation that something was taking place. We've seen moments like that in our country. If you're my age, you remember Y2K. Remember how freaked out people were? Like the world's gonna end, the lights are gonna go out, it's gonna be crazy. Remember that? I lived in Vanuatu in 1999, right before Y2K. And even they, Vanuatu is considered one of the most least developed countries in the world. The men of Vanuatu, they wake up in the morning, they garden a little while, they go hunting for some fish, they come back, they eat the fish, they pluck fruit off the tree and they go to sleep. And they're like, oh, Y2K, it's coming. I'm like, bro, it's not gonna hurt you. Yes, it will. The sun won't come up January 1st. Like, come on, guys, you, you will survive. The rest of the world will die. You are actually gonna be fine. But it's just, just kind of worldwide, like, oh no. It's Harold Camping, remember him? The crazy guy with the bulletin boards and the all over where they had the, the vans painted on the side of it, the end of the world, all that. It's that same kind of, oh no. It's the Mayan calendar running out in 2012. Oh no, movies were made about it. That's how it got the world's attention. It's even now with the pandemic, right? People are like, ah, oh, what's going on? I've had more emails and people saying, Matt, please teach the book of Revelation. And I always go back like, why? So we can be more freaked out, Matt. I wanna be freaked out. Okay, well, <laughs> it's your choice, I guess. So there was this kind of just, ugh, happening at this time. And the Magi sensed it. And they discerned from the stars, from the skies, they discerned what was happening. Well, Matt, we have the Bible. They didn't have the Bible. How would they in Babylon know everything you just said? I think they did. Because God had sent a missionary to them 600 years before. A guy by the name of Daniel. Daniel was taken when Babylon came and destroyed Israel and defeated them eventually ransacking Jerusalem and the temple. Well, Babylon was the first of the group taken over to Babylon. And he excelled there. Went to the University of Babylon. Man, he was a Rhodes Scholar. For 50 years, he was one of the top guys in the government of Babylon. Amazing individual. And his record would have been kept. They would have known. And he would have shared with them his prophecies and what he said. And now these magi are now because of that saying, aha, it's coming. We need to pay attention. It's coming. I love that about God. How God takes a bad situation, Babylon coming and ransacking Israel and uses it for his purpose and his glory. Do you know that God can do that? He does it all the time. Think about Jonah the prophet. Remember him, the reluctant prophet? God said, hey, go to Nineveh, give him this message. What does Jonah do? Goes in the exact opposite direction, gets on a boat and takes off. Thinking he can run from God. What happens to the boat? Massive storm. A storm like these seasoned pagan sailors had never seen before. And it says they begin to cry out to their gods to save them. Oprah, save us. Dr. Phil, save us. <laughs> and there's no help. So Jonah comes out of the bottom of the ship and says, hey, that's not gonna help because my God created everything. And the only thing that will help is if you throw me overboard. And they do, 
and it says calm. And the sailors, these pagan sailors, the book of Jonah says, begin to make sacrifice to Yahweh, the creator God. That God got his message to some pagan sailors through a disobedient, distracted prophet. How good is God, right? So these guys, they get the message and they come. And then something amazing happens. Look at, again, at verse nine. Check this out. And behold, the star that they had seen, the star that had tracked them across the desert, the star that they'd been looking at for probably a year at this point. And when they seen it, it rose and went before them until it came to rest. It stops over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, people always say, what in the world? Was this an alien spacecraft? Like, what is being talked about here? Well, did you know this? That stars move in the night sky. Maybe there was a time in your life where you were camping or something and you were sitting there and you saw a bright star up in the sky. You're like, oh, that's cool. It's right above the trees and you keep your conversation. And then 30 minutes later, you go to look at the star again and now it's dipped behind the trees. Because from our perspective, stars move. And so people that will go out with their camera. They'll put it on long exposure. And here's what they find. And this is just a short amount of time. This is just really a couple minutes. But stars are all moving in a certain trajectory. Here's another one, right? They're just always moving. Stars move because our planet's moving. So from our perspective, it looks like all the stars are moving. Well, there were certain stars that did not move. And the ancients knew them. They called them the wandering stars. Today, we call them planets. They didn't know. They just saw lights in the sky that didn't act like these normal stars did. So they called them the wandering planets. And a wandering planet can do something that no star can. It can do something. It can actually stop in its tracks and turn around. It's called retrograde motion. And let me try to explain it like this. And it's all perspective. So let's imagine you're going over to Medford and you're driving at 74 miles per hour, even though the speed limit is 65, but 74 is kind of legal, right? That's kind of legal. So I'm good. I won't get a ticket. So you're, you're kind of legal. You're doing 74. And there's a car in the slow lane and it is doing precisely 65 miles per hour. So you begin to pass this car. Well, from your perspective, it looks like that car is going backwards, well, you pull up and you look over to see who's driving at exactly 65 miles per hour. And you're like, oh, it's Pastor Matt. He's the law-abiding citizen. <laughs> so you don't want to be seen by me. So you all of a sudden hit your brake. Well, for a moment, what happens is you stop. Like we, we will go the same speed for just a moment, perspective. And then you'll begin to go backwards. Well, that is retrograde motion. And wandering planets can do this. It's not common, but it does happen. So if that didn't make sense, I have a video, it's 40 seconds, that actually shows it from Earth's perspective and then how it's happening with a planet. So watch this video. So right down to here is what we see. Here's the orbits of what happened with the two planets. Stops, turns around, Makes a circle. Okay. 
and off on its way, called retrograde motion. Pretty crazy, huh? So the Magi are watching this stuff and they've seen some crazy things happening, right? They've seen like Jupiter circle around three times, Regulus, right? And now they're watching it. And what happened at the same time was a very unique phenomenon. Jupiter, the king planet, and Venus, the brightest planet, actually combined in the night sky. So it made this extremely bright star. And they are following this extremely bright star. And they cross over, they talk to the people in Jerusalem, they go to Bethlehem, and then all of a sudden, as they're walking along, Jupiter stops. And they're like, what in the world? They've seen all the other, you've seen it, right? All the other stars are moving, and Jupiter is standing absolutely still in the night sky. Guess what day that happens? December 25th, 2 B.C., I would argue the very first Christmas. Well, do you believe Jesus was born on December 25th? No. The Bible says he's a child at this point, right? They see these signs when Jesus was born. They follow it. It takes them a year to get across. When they get across, or plus, or a little bit less, somewhere around a year, when they get across, he is a child now. They show up. As they're showing up, they're watching the stars, and this star that they've been watching just freezes in the night sky, and they say, we are here we're here, stop. How amazing is that? Who is the center of the universe? Is it me? Did the night sky do that for me when Matt Heverly was born? No. This is the center. All creation is dancing because their king has been born. All creation is in harmony. All creation is in step with creator. I mean, imagine the calculations that would go into having all these events happen like that. Planets, movement, constellation, stars, it's unfathomable. It all creation was in symphony for the birth of the king. Matthew is saying, here's the center of the universe. Right? And it'd be so good if the Christmas story ended there, but it doesn't because an enemy attacks. The Magi, when they show up, right, they're, they're looking for the king. So they come to King Herod and they're like, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And so what does Herod do? Well, look at verse three. Herod says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why would Herod the king be troubled? Well, imagine now you have Wise men, magi coming to Herod the king and saying, hey, we're looking for the real king. How do you think Herod would feel? How, would you, how do you think President Joe Biden would feel if you went to visit him and he said, hey, I'm looking for the real president? How would that work, right? That, that might make him mad, okay? So Herod is troubled because he knows this. He's a fake. He is a usurper. He's not Jewish. He knows he's fake. And then it says, all of Jerusalem was troubled. Why would all of Jerusalem be troubled? Because they know Herod is a nut job. He has a history of going crazy berserk. So when he was made king by Rome in 37 BC, he rounded up the previous dynasty called the Hasmoneans and he killed every single one of them. 
And the Sanhedrin, which is like the Senate, the Sanhedrin was like, hey, time out, bro. You can't do that. So he killed half of the Sanhedrin. They'd be like the president killing half of the senators that don't agree with him. Like, whoa. He had a disagreement with his wife, so he killed her. His wife's mother, his mother-in-law, was like, you can't kill my daughter. He killed her. Three of his boys were like, bro, that's bad. He killed all three of them, right? He is a nut job. No wonder why Jerusalem's like, oh no, this is not going to go well. Oh no, this is not good. So what happens? We'll flip over, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, what was he trying to do to the wise men? Hey, tell us where the kid is so I can go worship him. Yeah, right? He gets furious. People get furious when, when other sinners sin better than them. They're like, oh, dang it. It got me, right? So he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region that were two years old or under, according to the time that he had, been, he had ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. I have never heard anyone teach this on Christmas. <laughs> it's probably why I'm teaching it. I'm a bit ornery. Even I can make Christmas a bummer. Watch me. Okay? Here's why. I think there are people that are sitting in this room right now who their Christmas season will be much closer to Herod's than to the happy Magi. That Christmas is a season of loss. A season of hearing other people's happy stories and gifts and wonderful things and knowing what they do not have because of their own poor decisions or because of things that have happened to loved ones that won't be at that dinner. And if you look at any statistics on the Christmas season, suicides go up, overdoses go up, alcohol use goes up, drug use goes up, mental health goes down. All of them happen during this season because people feel the weight of it, the weight of loss, the weight of regret and guilt and shame if I'd done things differently, right? So that's why I'm teaching it. There's some in here that feel this. And just to make a quick point, Rama was a city of about maybe a thousand people. So statistically, there'd be 20 babies, which is too many. But Herod is such a nut job, it's not even a footnote in the horrible things that he did. So you got this weeping and this, ah, oh, oh, oh. I want to make a side note, maybe a rant of sorts, but I think it's a theme. When there are evil people, who seems to suffer? Kids, right? Pharaoh is wanting to do things to the people of Israel, and who does he target? The babies. Herod here? targets babies. Idolatry, when it's brought into Egypt or 
into Israel, excuse me, starts with the golden calf, an Egyptian kind of thing. Beautiful, gold, wonderful. But it morphs into this God called Moloch that was cast iron and heated up and children would be sacrificed. It got ugly and it was kids that suffered because evil always seems to target kids. It's still the same way today. Like this last year, if, if there's something about 2021 that's gonna be remembered besides COVID, it's gonna be like this, this gender dysphoria with girls and thinking that they're boys. And what are we gonna do about that? What is happening there? It's unparalleled. Hockey sticks, something is moving this that's, un, that's not normal. There's a big case right now in California where it's like it was pushed on this girl and all the regret and remorse the detransitioning, I just think in 10 years, we're gonna have a bunch of hurt, hurt girls. It hurts them. Think about pornography. I have people argue with me. Pornography doesn't hurt anyone. Are you really? Really? Talk to people that deal with kids and kids being abused by adults. And it is skyrocketing. And you ask them, what's driving this skyrocketing? To a T, they will say, it's pornography because it always has to go weird and gross. It's kids that get hurt with evil. How about this one? And this is like probably my main rant. Like school has morphed a little bit. It used to be, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. Now schools say, hey, we want to help kids become well-adjusted adults. Okay. So they have classes like health class where they're teaching, hey, here's how you live a healthy life. So one of the things that they'll say in health class is this, hey, don't smoke cigarettes, right? Because smoking cigarettes is unhealthy, okay? And has that worked? Mm, you could argue it has. 50 years ago, 46%, 46% of Americans smoked cigarettes. That's a crazy number, isn't it? Now it's under 16%. So it's worked, okay. But here's my thing, like, okay, that's dangerous to your health. You know what, which is, you know something that's way more dangerous to the health of a child? But it's really unpopular. Growing up in a single family home, way more dangerous. And that is my story. I grew up in a single family home and I've seen the devastation it's caused to my siblings. You're 10 times more likely to be sexually abused you're less likely to keep a job. You're, you're more likely to die young. An older brother who's dead. You're more likely to abuse alcohol. You're more likely to have mental health problems. You're more likely to abuse drugs. It just goes on and on and on. It's like one of the most unhealthy things that can ever happen to a child is grow up in a single family home. I know there are parents in here that are doing it. My mom did that. I get that. It's hard, no doubt about it. So why is it in health class, why don't they just pounding into these kids. Listen, don't have sex until you get married. Really, really, really choose carefully the person you're going to marry. Why isn't that just being screened? Because they have all this data. They have it all. So there's this group called the Brookings Institute. And they've been doing this study for a long time. They keep adding years onto it. And you can Google it at some time if you want. It's by Haskins and Sawhill. And here's what they found. They have what they call the success sequence. Super simple. Just three things. You want to be successful? And it crosses every line. Gender, ethnicity, doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't, none of it crosses it all. Three things that if you do, you'll be successful. Finish high school, get a full-time job, 
10 hours as a barista at Starbucks, just ain't cutting it. Full-time job and wait till marriage to have children and you're gonna succeed. And it has been studied over and over and over again. Why isn't that just crammed into our kids' heads? Because it's not popular. Because there's an agenda. Because there is still a lion, excuse me, a dragon, Revelation 12, who's waiting to devour children and he still does it to this day and they suffer evil. And we are to be the group of people, the church is to be the group of people that stands in that gap and says, not on my watch, not on my watch. We are to be James 127, orphans and widows, single moms and kids, stepping in and helping and loving and standing in that gap for them. Because if not, the dragon will devour them. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual war. So kids here, kids get hurt kids get hurt. Let me finish with two simple notes. Number one is this. Verse six tells us they followed this star across the desert and it got them to Jerusalem. The star started the Christmas story. What finished the Christmas story? Scripture. It got them close, but it didn't get them all the way there. See, creation can get you close. Creation can tell you about God's power when we look out these windows but it can't tell you about God's grace. Life can tell you that you need a king, but only scripture tells you his name. When, when they got as far as they could get, they turned to scripture and they quote Micah 5 two. Now here's a little trick if you wanna be a Bible student. Whenever the Bible quotes something, go read a whole bunch around what it's quoting because it's always a hyperlink. Like, you know, when you're reading down an article and you can click on something and it opens up another article, that's what quotations in the New Testament are. You always click on it. And because these guys were steeped in their culture, they knew exactly what was being talked about. We don't. We're 2,000 years from it. We don't get it. So for us, we gotta go reacquaint ourselves. It's like this. If I said to us, remember 9-11, is that just a simple little quote? No, there's a whole package that comes with that. The war on terrorism, the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, let's roll, Twin Towers, Pentagon, right? There's just, you can unpack that forever because it's, it's hyperlinked in there. So when you see a quote in the Bible, the best thing you can ever do is go read it. So let me read for you, Micah 5 two. Check this out. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. That's where the scholars stop. What does the rest of the verse say? Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. What did the scholars leave out? That he's God. They left out that he's God. He's eternal. The pros left that out and they still do it today. Jesus can be a great guy, a great teacher, a sage, but he can't be God. He stumbled in Jerusalem and got killed. The experts still do the same thing today. They won't make Jesus God. 
So when you're watching the Discovery Channel this week on the historical Jesus of Christmas and they say all that, don't believe them. Believe this. He is God. Come in the flesh to rescue you and me, right? Creation can only get you so far and then you need scripture. Get, get the greatest gift ever. Get the gift of a Bible that you will read this Christmas. Get out of Facebook and get your face into this book. You will be blessed. You will be built. You will be guided. You will be changed from the inside out by the power of this book. Creation can only get you so far. And then you need, you need scripture, okay? Number two, there's another verse. And it's a very hard verse. It's verse 18. The weeping in Rama, the death of these babies. Again, if you click on that hyperlink, I wanna show you something. Check this out. So this is Jeremiah 31, where this is from. So this is what's quoted. Thus says the Lord, voices heard in Rama." Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. That's what's quoted, but keep reading. Look at the next verse. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is a hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their own country. There might be moms in here. That Christmas is weeping and lamentation because of lost kids. Lost to drugs, lost to alcohol, lost to this culture, lost. And Christmas is a remembrance of things you can't talk about. And Christmas is a remembrance of what's been lost. Read that next verse. Your kids will come back from the enemy's country. You have a hope that God is able to take what the enemy wants to use for evil and turn it for good. That's our hope. That's why Jesus came. That's our hope. And this entire section crescendos down and ends in one of the most incredible passages of scripture in the Old Testament. I'll read it for you. Behold, the days are coming. Because of all this, reference into Matthew chapter two. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. This is called the new covenant. This mixture, the Magi and Herod, gifts and death, it crescendos into something called the new covenant. 
something brilliant and amazing. Something where you and I can be transformed, right? So Matthew's been presenting this case for us that all creation circles and whirls to their king. And that's what the Bible says, right? Creation obeys. God says, hey, frogs, head on down to Egypt. And what do the frogs say? Yes, Lord. Locusts, swarm into Egypt. Yes, Lord. Red Sea, open for my people. Yes, Lord. Storms, cease. Yes, Lord. Jupiter, Venus, circle. Yes, Lord. Demons, flee. Yes, Lord. Adam and Eve, don't eat. Nah. Right? In stark contrast to all of creation, nah. We're the note that's out of tune. We create destruction in our path, death by our dumb decisions. We've treasoned against the king of the universe, the real center. And so how does the king respond? Jeremiah 31. I'll be born as a babe in Bethlehem. I'll live in a country that's under the thumb of a brutal dictatorship called Rome. And I will die as a criminal so that Matt Heverly's betrayal and treason and creation-destroying ways can be forgiven. And he can be my son, and I can be his king. That's what he decides. That's the Christmas story. And it's thick, and it's weighty, and sometimes we try to make it be on a different plane of all Mary when there's a lot of messes. The Bible doesn't do that. It's honest. Let it be honest. Jesus is the king of the universe. Let him be the king of the universe because when I'm the king of the universe, I don't do so well. I don't control the planets. There's erring and wandering and messes and it's not good. But when he's the center with the good and with the bad, it turns out brilliantly. That's the message. That's the Christmas message. Let it be thick and full and right because it actually matters then and changes us where we say, you be the center. I don't want to be the center. The secret is wrong. <laughs> Scripture is right. So as we take communion today, I don't know where you're at personally. Maybe you got invited here by a friend. Maybe your life is spiraling out of control. That can happen. But the best news of scripture is the Christmas story with its good and with its bad, with its hard and with its happy. The best message is there's a king who can control it. There's a king who orchestrates the very planetary motion, the stars, so that they 
signal his arrival. Don't you know that he can orchestrate your life in a way that's a brilliant symphony if you let him? So when we partake today, we're saying, I don't wanna be the center. There's not enough gravity to me. (laughs) I want you to be the center. And so Jesus today, as we were reminded of your perfect gift for us, that you, the center of the universe, will be born as a babe, live as a servant, die as a criminal, so I could be forgiven, and you could be my king, and I could be your son. And that's true for every person in here who believes in you as the incarnate one, the eternal one, the resurrected one. Let's eat together. raise the cup that though our sins were like scarlet they have been made white as snow the new covenant is you will forgive our sins it's not a conditional covenant if we then you it's unconditional all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ because you're the center of the universe may we drink deeply of the gift of forgiveness today. Let's drink. Amen. So we'll end with a song. After that song, you can be dismissed. Drive to Medford at 65 miles per hour. It's your final gift. Or if you need prayer, we have people that will be up here that would love to pray for you. And maybe for you, there's, there's hardship in this Christmas season. And it's weighing on you and worrying you and all that. The Bible says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He can take it. He can orchestrate it. He can turn evil into good, Genesis 50, 20. Come, be prayed for. We offer baptism. Baptism today might be You've been trying to be the center of the world and it's not working well. And now you're humbly saying, King Jesus, be the center of the world. Be the center of my world. May it orbit you. May I get back in the right trajectory. I've been off. I know you as savior. Now be my king, be the center of the universe. Be baptized. That's you today. Come right over here. Someone will be over here explain to you salvation and baptism. And if you want, you can be baptized. What an amazing Christmas gift. Would you stand for this final song?